anytime things like this happen, it's like for some reason I'm drawn to it. It catches my attention. At the same time, it's kind of disturbing. I don't know if you guys uh, heard or saw in the news about the incident that happened in, uh, I think it was in Baytown, Texas, uh, where this, this police officer shot a, a pregnant woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we'll, I know we'll get into my history. You know, I used to be in law enforcement for about 10 years. And when I saw that video, um, I watched it several times. And, you know, I'm a sensitive guy. So it was um, it was disturbing to see. Mm. Um, because as a former law enforcement officer, I, I know the levels of aggression. I know the different ways that could have gone about that entire situation. Um, and then the fact that the police department is trying to protect this man by not giving out his name, to me, is also an example of racial extermination against the black people. And I'm, I'm friends with all types of races. I've got friends from all different types of ethnic backgrounds. I'm not a judgmental person. But at the same time, there still has to be an awareness that's made that us as blacks are still being attacked mm-hmm. and not giving the equality, the respect that we deserve. And as I continue to, to, to build my agenda for running for president of the United States, it seems like there's more and more things that, that gets added to a list of changes that I look to make in this country. The other incident that happened, I believe was the Harris County involving another uh, black person guy was misidentified by the police officer. Again, the steps that were taken against him were not justifiable. I'm sure that's not protocol, the way that they handled the situation, by coming to the man on his own property while he's sitting there playing catch with his son and forcing him, or trying to force him to get give them identification, then identifying him as somebody that he's not. That is going to be one of the top things when I am elected, whether it be 2020 whether it be 2024 that has to change, I'm going to push as hard as I can with the help of the people of the the United States of America to get this done because police officers have to be held accountable. If you're going to hold someone and give them that, that authority and then that figure to put them in in the public side, you're supposed to be out there to protect and serve. And you are out here just taking that power that is given to you. People look up to you. When I was a kid, I looked up to police officers. And it just, it, it kind of, you know, it really, really made me sad, especially when I, because I watched the video with the woman over and over and over again, like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And yet no attention, not that I've heard yet, nothing's come down from the federal government. Nothing's been said from the White House. I don't even think that the current president has made any type of statement toward this. Mm-hmm. If I was in that position, that would have been the, one of the things that I need that should have been stepped up for to say, hey, we need to find out what's going on down in Texas. Yeah, it definitely not should have been Harrison, Not Right, not just in Baystown. We got two victims. Two victims for crimes that they did not commit. They said the woman had pulled the taser. I don't know the facts of it. I can't speak totally on it, but I speak based on what I saw. And what I saw, if I was put into a position to where I had to make a decision on what was going to happen, with that officer, he'd been arrested right there on the spot because you know what you are supposed to do. You know the levels of use of force. They teach you these things in the academy. And I think that's what separates me from a lot of people 
in this world, especially with the candidates that are currently running, including myself, is the fact that my background is strictly law enforcement. I didn't do military, but I got family that was in the military, you know, but just just seeing this kind of, you know, kind of broke me down a little bit. You are now tuned into FNL Radio. Run for cover. We are now tuning to FNL Live with Doc and Monique. Time to laugh your ass off. All right, what is up, everybody? And welcome to a special edition of FNL Radio. You got your boy Doc and got Monique on the other end as well. Hey, I'm a loves out there. How is everybody doing tonight? Yes, people. So we have a, um, like I said, special episode. You know, here on FNL, we definitely try to keep you up to date on a lot of things that's going on in music and entertainment news. But y'all know also we have a side where we, you know, give y'all input on what's going on in the political climate as well, people. Uh, I don't think some of y'all took that advice the last time around, but uh, <laughs> I do thank y'all for listening. But um, we definitely want to make sure when it comes to 2020 that you all know your knowledge on everything. You know, we're going to keep pressing it every episode. People that definitely need some changes made, and, we did, and it starts with you. So we're going to keep y'all, you know, in the loop on everything all the time, people, every time we do an episode. So make sure you tune in and listen. But, um, you know, here on FNL, people, you know, we're, we're it's like a family, people, you know, we got, you know, people that come over to the show and they're, you know, part of the FNL family. So we have a new family member tonight, everybody. Um, he's actually um, running for president in 2020, everybody. Um, and it's Richard Cooper, everybody here on the show. So y'all give it up for Richard Cooper, everyone. Hey, what's up? How y'all doing? How you doing? I appreciate you, Reggie and Monique, having me on. Definitely an honor and a pleasure to be part of the show tonight. We're definitely excited to have you here, Mr. Cooper. You know, we want you to, again, like you said, um, you know, talk about your experience, your professional background, and just the things that made you want to run for president. And, you know, again, as Reggie was stating, you know, it's we're coming up on the 2020 presidential election, and um, we want everybody to be informed about all of the candidates that are running for president Um in 2020 so again like Reggie said we do have Richard Cooper here and so we want you guys to get a chance to have the opportunity and get a chance to know him so that you're very well informed of his agenda and um, why he's choosing to make a change um a little bit about me um I was in law enforcement uh for about 10 years I worked with the city of St. Louis and then I was recruited by the city of Atlanta and that was when I made the choice to move to Atlanta. Um, one thing I do want to get, get I just want to clear clear up for you guys. Um, the elephant in the room, people that see me around, they see my picture, they're like, hey, he looks familiar. Yes, I am someone um, that has been involved and worked with in the adult film industry. Um, I've done that for several years. But that does not uh, characterize me or describe the type of person that I am. Uh, that was a profession that I did. Um, I am no longer doing it. You know, I have a regular nine to five job. I'm a person amongst many other citizens in this country that's always looking to do something to make it better. Um, 
when the election went about, uh, when the Trump um, became president, it it weighed down heavy on my heart and my spirit. I, I remember I remember going to bed the night of the election, and I said, "Oh my God, you know, when I wake up, this is going to be a dream. Mm-hmm. You know, Hillary's going to be president, and those 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 the the the, the electoral college vote is going to be where it should be, mm-hmm. and." It it was just it was it was heartbreaking, man. I, I swear to you, I I woke up and like I don't know, I just had this fear come over me, you know. And then I I looked at my best friend. I'm like, so tell me what happened last night because I couldn't watch it anymore. And he was like, well, you know, Trump won, and I was just like devastated, you know, like breaking up with somebody that you've been with for a long time and just heartbroken. And I felt the sadness of the people. But when they found out the results and and it just it just it just broke me. But then at the same time, I, I gathered up strength to be like, you know what? OK, I've got to do something about this. And I know that's a big thing to say, <laughs> not really being in the immediate position to do so. But I knew that nothing could stop me or preventing me from contacting the Federal Elections Commission and saying, hey, I want to be president of the United States. And while doing that, I felt that I've been around, I don't know, I mean, I'm 42. So I've been able to experience different things that our country experienced from minimum wage to health care. I mean, I've worked a nine to five, you know what I'm saying? I don't get paid the best, but at the same time, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we as a people have to struggle and work two and three jobs, you know, maybe have a company on the side just trying to make ends meet. That's not how things should be. Mm-hmm. So of course, one of the things on my agenda is increase the minimum wage. Education. We always push our children, our teenagers to go out and continue to further their education after high school. But what is the biggest thing that we run into? Costs. Yeah. Money. Mm-hmm. How are we going to pay for it? You know what I'm saying? Our parents want us to be doctors and lawyers and stuff like that, but, but deep down inside, they're trying to struggle with themselves. Like, how can we pay for this? We want our child to go to the best school. I do have a plan. I've got an idea and a plan that I would enact to help with free education. Now, it, it would be free education, um, as you say, with stipulations. Okay, so uh, just to give you a, a quick idea of how I would do it. Let's say you, the, the basic degree that most people go for is an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. All right. There would be no charge for the social degree. If a person wanted to apply for a grant to go for their social degree, they could do that and not be responsible for any cost, none whatsoever. But see, this makes it to where they would not have to worry about going through school and then getting letters from, you know, about, oh, you're behind on this and you got to pay this. And then when they get out of college, now they're spending their money from the job that they did acquire to pay that money back. Yeah. So I don't want them to worry about that. I want them to focus on their future. If they decide to move forward and get a bachelor's degree, the government will help, will step in and help them do that. And instead of making them, let's say you take out like, well, I don't know what it costs, like $65,000. Instead of paying $65,000 back, why don't you just pay ten dollars or $20,000 back? And then you don't start paying on that until after you graduate and complete the degree that way you have those years that you're in school to focus on your education and not worrying about working four and five jobs to pay for that degree. And then after those four years, you get an additional four years to pay that money back. 
I think that is a way to help our young generation reach the goals that they want to reach for. And a lot of people are not able to do that because they can't afford it. But I think with my idea and plan on how we can get free and offer free education, I think that would help. Um, I've talked about foreign policy. Um, one of the biggest issues that we have right now are all the allies that we had. And I say had because a lot of them don't trust us anymore because of the, the, the commander in chief that we have now. They don't trust us. You know, they don't really deal with this. And now, and I'm sure you guys know, we're in the tariff war with China. Mm -hmm. When has that happened? How long ago have we been in such disarray, you know what I'm saying, with China? I mean, we were just on a roll of doing things with productivity, you know, exchanging ideas and, and moving forward in technology. But here we are now. And then they turned the script and now they want to sit up and tax us, you know, billions of dollars. So the economy is about to suffer again. And the one thing that I'm afraid of is that whomever, may it be me, uh, Bill O'Rourke, anybody that comes into office in 2020 is going to be dealing with the case of, of a recession. And I know it's, it's going to be hard for our country to recover from that. The other thing is that I've, I've sat and talked to, and I don't know how a lot of people feel about it, um, because it seems to every time people talk about it, it disappears is equality um, equality in the LBGT community. Mm -hmm. I want to work on getting rights, fair and equal rights, not just, oh, well, we'll make this okay. You know, we'll make this to where, oh, we'll look into this. We'll get the uh, this organization involved to find out what caused this. No, I, I want to make sure that the attention of the full attention of the government is brought into making sure that the rights are equal across the board because we're all human. And we should be treated as such. You may have your differences or dislike because I am a gay black man. And I feel that anytime I walk outside of my home, that I should feel safe mm -hmm. and that people should know that if you commit any type of crime or hate crime against an individual, there are consequences behind that. You know, with the dealing with the young man, Nigel Shelby, you know, young man, I'm sure he had so much ahead for him mm -hmm. and his, he took his own life all because of the fact that he was bullied because of how he was choosing to live his life. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't like that kind of stuff. That's not going to be tolerated in my administration either. There's not going to be a slap on the hand. People are going to be held responsible. People are going to be held accountable for the actions of their children. If you're not teaching your child about respecting others, you don't have to like what they do, but you do not have the right to threaten them or make them feel any less of a person. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that's, those are things I think that we need to work on as a whole. That is why I said change for America. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to come in and say, oh, I want to do this. I want America to help me do this. I'm not, I can't do it by myself. I need the supporters of the blacks, the whites, the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents. I'm not all about separation and keeping things divided because that's one of the problems with this country. We're so divided. We all need to work together and come together to continue that change for America. And then we will continue to grow and continue to be better. We're already great. I don't know that crap that Trump was talking about. <laughs> we were already great. We just need to do things to change for the better for the people of America. Yeah, definitely. I agree. It takes a village, you know, to, like you said, to bring about a certain change. And it takes not just blacks, not just whites. It takes, you know, everyone, blacks, whites, Latinas, you know, Asians, you know, it takes everybody to bring exactly. that change. Say it again. Where are you from? Where were you born and raised? 
I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. A little small city in Missouri, you know, gateway to the West. Okay. And uh, I grew up in a, I grew up on the North side um, and the South side. I kind of bounced back and forth between my mom and my grandmother. Um, I was more of a grandmother's boy. Um, I was more so raised by my grandmother actually, but of course I love my mom dearly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you said you currently reside in Atlanta right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm currently in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Dallas, exactly. yeah. I'm in Dallas, okay. Texas. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. tell us a little bit more about your educational and professional background. Educational background. Um, I went to, I attended, well, I started when I was at elementary school, I attended public school. And uh, me and my siblings were selected to be part of the desegregation program. Now, that was a program that started, um, I believe, back in the 1980s to where they were uh, transporting uh, city students or city kids to the county to be able to attend schools that were like about 45 minutes away, which was supposedly like better education, um, more opportunity to, to, to see how that would work with the kids mixing. Because the majority of the kids in the county you know, were white kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so, of course, that was a, a, a historical moment for me to say I, I was part of that. Um, I went to Lafayette Senior High School. Uh, fortunately, I did not graduate because at the time I was dating a young lady um, and she had got pregnant. And then years later, uh, come to find out that he's not my child. But prior to that, I felt the responsibility as a father. I said, well, I need to take care of my kid. Um, so I did leave school. I attended, uh, got my GED like about six months after I left school and got a job working in the convenience store. I worked at the St. Louis Zoo. Uh, so a lot of the jobs that I've had, I've always been dealing with the public uh, and like being around people. But I was always working and I took care of him. You know, uh, his name is Daryl. He was named his well, his middle name. He had my middle name but his and my last name, but the rest of it, his mom kind of put some stuff together I'm like you know what are you doing to this kid's name but I took care of him and stuff like that so through those years of working um, I applied to the uh, St. Louis Police Academy and just kind of sat back and waited in between then I was driving school buses I was working with abused and neglected children Um, I did that for several years um, because I just I know what it's like uh, being in that position, I was abused and neglected myself, not by my mom, but by my mother's boyfriend. Um, and I kind of understood what those what those kids were going through. Um, so I did a little bit of um, school with Webster University. I took up mass communications, which was required um, after I graduated from the police academy in St. Louis. Um, so I had a little bit of college with Webster University. And then the credits that I acquired from St. Louis Police Academy was considered college credits as well. So that's why I wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, a, a demand for me to have to uh, stay at Webster University like a full year because I just needed an additional three credits uh, required by the police department. So I got a little bit of that background, but I've, I've always had a job. You know, that's one thing I can say. <clears throat> You, you've definitely been serving the community, you know, more ways than one, you know, driving, you know, the school bus. So you're serving, you're serving, you know, the children of the community, working yes. to do serving families and then the police department. So you've definitely been serving. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, talk about your educational background and your professional background. So, you know, 
the announcement, you know, kind of came out of the blue that, you know, you wanted, you know, to run for president. So what was that whole, you know, what was that aha moment where you just said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go for it? You know something, Reggie? It's, I guess it, it, it was initiated, you know, like I said, back when, when Trump ran. But then when I saw that, it just, it was, I don't know, it was like a feeling that kind of came over me. And I remember talking to my mom about it um, before she passed away on January 29th that I've always told her things like, you know what, I said, I don't, you know, I'm not happy with the way that things are going, you know, in our country. I sit up and saw her, you know, she was dealing with stage four cancer mm. and I felt that she wasn't getting the treatment that she needed. I see my grandmother dealing with diabetes. I see my aunt dealing with diabetes and people around me, you know, I'm, I'm losing people around me. And it's just like, there's something that's got to be done. And not just family, but friends dying out on the street, people getting pulled over by the police and being disrespected or treated wrong. It's just like, okay, I, I'm an American citizen. I'm an average person that walks amongst the rest of the people that knows what the struggle is like. And I said, it's, I need to do something. I want to do something. And I said, I know this is a far fetch. I'm not doubting in my capabilities or my abilities to do anything. So I'm going to do it because that's the same thing I did when I wanted to be a police officer. I kept saying that. And I was doubted then that, no, oh, I wasn't going to be this. This wasn't going to happen. But I did it. It didn't happen the first time, but the second time I got accepted. I'm going to do the same thing here. That pushed, That was what pushed me that last time that I spoke with my mom and just told her what I was feeling. And, you know... I'm sorry. Mm. Um, yeah, take the time. She, she understood. And what she's always said to me was that you do whatever you believe in. If that's something that you feel that you want to do, then do it. You know, because my mom was a, a strong black woman. Mm. And then she was a, a survivor and a fighter. And that's, I think, what pushed me over the edge to say, okay, I'm just going to do this. You know, and I started off doing it by myself, you know, just trying to figure out what needed to be done, what needed to be filed. And, you know, and then I ran into Joseph. He's a godsend, you know, and he, he jumped in and, 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 and started helping me do, the, do everything else that needed to be done. And I was appreciative of that. So that's, uh, excuse me, that's what, what, my motivation is is that I'm tired of seeing our people, our country suffer up under the rhetoric, you know what I'm saying, of this president that's in office. You know, I'm not here to down any other presidential candidate because that's the ultimate goal, right, is to get Trump out. Mm -hmm. But we also need to think about what needs to change for the people. Definitely, definitely. And uh, definitely sorry for your loss as well. I appreciate that, man. Yes. I really do appreciate that. Yes. So, you know, um, when you thought about doing this, you know, who was the first person, you know, was your mother that was the first person you told? Who was the first person that you told and what was their reaction to your news that you wanted to you know, run for president? Um, it's strange enough, we were at the actually at the repast mm. um, uh, for my mom and we're all having a good time and having good memories. And that's when I felt the need to make it known to my family and everybody was so, and I didn't expect it 
they were so excited. They was like, wow, are you serious? I said, yeah. And then it just like so much support just came out. They were like, you know, well, you got my vote, you know, and that felt so good to hear that, you know, and, and just getting started. I just made the announcement. I said, I just, I just filed the paperwork and they're like, well, you got my vote. You got my support. You know, we're here for you. And I just kind of use that, you know what I'm saying, as the energy and strength. But I'm sure, as you guys know, that a lot of people thought it was a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people thought it was a joke. Um, I, I, And I don't pay too much attention to it, but, I, you know, I read the comments on Instagram. I read the comments on Twitter. Um, and it's just like, I, I don't feed into it. Because mm-hmm. I, I have really thick skin. I know how to deal with stuff like that. But I'm like, oh, that's a joke. Or um, I can't, you know, why would you want to waste your time and money on that? Or you're not going to make it far. Or, you you know, just in the, the the bad part. Here's the bad part. It's coming from our people. It's coming from black people. Yeah. It's coming from the LBGT community. I'm here fighting for you. Mm-hmm. You guys are first on my list. You are part of the country. So instead of trying to down what I'm doing or doubt the fact that I'm doing it, give me the opportunity to show you that I can do this. If you looked up to me on many other reasons and seeing that, oh, he's a he's a role model, he's this and he's that. But then when when a when a black man that is not in a political position right now steps up and say, hey, I want to change or, or give change for our country, you should be trying to want to push for that. You should be trying to, hey, what can we do to help? How can we volunteer? Because right now you're suffering and people don't understand how much they're suffering because they don't watch the news, they don't follow politics, and they don't understand certain things that are going on. Everything that goes on that Donald Trump is doing is not for the best of the country. Oh. It's not for the best of the country. And that's what... what 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 confuses me is I'm like, so what do you what do you guys want? If you don't want good change and you doubt someone such as myself that wants to run for office, you're not doing it. I don't see you out here trying to make a change for America. I don't see you out here at events and, and, and doing awareness about, you know, hate crimes and crimes against blacks or, you know, kids that are out here committing suicide. I've talked to many kids. And talk them down from wanting to hurt themselves. But when I sit up and say that, oh, I'm going to run for president of the United States, this guy is a joke. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you guys on FNL radio, here with Monique and Reggie, that I, Richard Cooper, am running for president of the United States for 2020. This is not a joke. I'm dead serious about doing this, and I'm going to keep on doing it until it happens. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, you know, sometimes, and I hate to say this, but, you know, it is also very much true. Sometimes our own peers can be our worst critics and can, you know, bring about that negativity. But Mm -hmm. then you keep on fighting what you believe in. You keep on fighting for the changes that you know that are important to all communities. You know, Blacks, the LGBT community, you keep on fighting for that. Um, Let me, so you mentioned earlier, um, that you were part of something major growing up in St. Louis, which was mm-hmm. being selected to take part in a new desegregation program. Tell yes. us a little bit more about that experience for you. 
you know, it was it was part of a lottery uh, when it started. And I remember I remember watching my mom and my grandmother fill out the documents that had to be required. And then once that started, I was nervous. You know, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, as a as a six and seven year old, you know, with my little brother. We're walking to the bus stop. It's dark outside. You know, we get on this bus with a bunch of other strange, you know, kids from around the neighborhood. And we take this, we stop at a bunch of other stops to pick up other students. And we take this 45 minute drive all the way out to the county, away from home, away from mom, my grandmother and everybody. We get to this, we get to the school, we walk into the building and I'm just, you know, like, wow, I feel like I'm on like another planet because I've never been around this many white people before, you know, but it was, it was so, it was welcoming, you know, and I felt safe, if you will, you know, it, it, just, it was a new environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after those first few days, I kind of wrapped into it. And then I continued attending school, you know, through elementary, uh, junior high school. And then when it came to high school, I started to notice a change um, in things. Um, there was bullying going on. Uh, there were a few little minor race wars that were going on. I've been confronted with it uh, with a fellow peer student. Uh, he was in my classroom at the time I was attending. There's a program that they also had in my high school. It was called um, it was Air Force Junior ROTC. So we only had to wear uniform once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that year is when things started to change. And I felt that they were getting the the... I had to say like, but it seemed like the white kids were getting tired Well, the racist white kids were getting tired of the black kids that were coming in from the city. So they're the county kids were tired of the city kids coming into the school and being there because we were doing a lot. You know, you get guys that have been captain of the football team. You know, they're, they're getting all these praises for being on the basketball team. I was the first ever black drill team commander for the uh for our ROTC. Oh, wow. I, I started my own it was we called the fancy dance drill team where we did like different sequences and stuff like that. I was the first black drill team commander. And um it just seemed like I don't know they felt like they, they were threatened. And I remember a fight breaking out during an assembly um and it was all about it was all about race. Mm. And it just like, it blew me, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, this is not happening. You know, it's kind of like you think back to, you know, our parents and our ancestors and what they had to deal with and the Watts riots. It's like, this is not happening in my school. Like, what is wrong with you people? You know what I'm saying? Like, get it together. Like, you know, why, why are we, why are we doing this? You know, it wasn't hard. But then when I got in high school, it, it became a little struggle. You know, because I was being bullied at the same time. But the sad part, I was being bullied by people that rode my bus. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was being bullied by other black people. You know, you're riding the same bus that I'm on. You're in the same position I am. You know, why are you picking on me? And then dealing with getting off the bus and then going to school from being bullied by my own peers and then going to school and being bullied, you know what I'm saying, by the white people. You know, the white racist ones in the school. And it was just sometimes it was unbearable and I was just like am I going to make it through these four years of this place you know because I, I, I didn't know where everything was going to lead I went in I kept my face buried in the books I did what I was supposed to do never got suspended I've gotten to a scuffle once that was because uh, this guy we were 
the, he said something to me about my mom. And, you know, I was just like, you know, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't, you know, speak ill of my mother, you know, and then he said something else. And then it was a little push and shove, you know, and then at that point, someone else had grabbed him and pulled him off of me because he was had me like against the, the banner of the because we were it was like two floors. Mm-hmm. Um, he had me against the railing and it felt like he was trying to push me over the railing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was an experience, man. I was just like, oh, my God, like, you know, what is going on? I mean, do they really not want us out here? That was that was an experience. And I, I, I was glad that I was part of it, though. You know, it's it's something to say that you were part of uh, a movement like that, uh, because now they're doing it all over. You know, they're busting kids that are in the city and you get picked to be enrolled into those schools. And they, they get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They get a, I, what I learned about that the other thing about that desegregation program and if you ever miss a day man like they would call your house and say why is richard not at school today uh well he missed the bus we'll send him a cab Mm -hmm. they would send a cab wow they would get at the time now if you calculate this they were getting at least between ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars per student Mm -hmm. per day so, of course, they're going to do what they can to make sure that you, if you miss the bus, they pick you up. Yeah. If you're not feeling well at school, oh, just go to the nurse's office, lay down, because they had beds in there. So you can lay down and sleep it off. Even if you just wanted to sleep, they don't want you going home, because then that counts as, like, you know, you're not attended. You know, so they want to make sure that they get that money. Mm. You know, so I, I've learned a lot from that. I was like, well, I couldn't believe it. Interesting. So let me ask you this real quick. Do you ever, how often do you go back to St. Louis? Do you ever go back and talk to, um, you know, kids from, you know, at your old school? Do you do any of those things? You know, now that um, I'm going to, now that I'm in that position, uh, I feel that it's important that I do it. A lot of times when I went back home, um, honestly, Monique, I went to see my mom and my grandmother and, and spend time with them because they miss having me there. But I've always, I did stop into my my, my uh, high school once. And a lot of the teachers that used to be there wasn't there anymore. But I've always talked about, and I remember asking them, I said, what do I go about if I want to come here and just kind of to speak, you know, to the students about what direction they want to go in their lives when they graduate, you know, and what's going to be waiting on them out there. And they directed me to the people, but I never had a chance to move forward on it. Um, but I think now it's more so I would love to uh, be able to arrange that and show them where I've come, how far I've gotten being a student of that particular high school or being a student of the elementary school, because I did attend city schools as well, but to just to show them, you know, that, Hey, you can go somewhere once you walk out of those those school doors there's a lot of opportunity out there and i, I I'm, that's one going to be my goal to go out there and start doing that speaking of a lot of schools mm-hmm. okay okay definitely definitely so um as you mentioned before that something that nobody probably knew about was that you were you know part of the police force you were you know a police officer at one point mm-hmm. so what was your desire to enter the police force Man, I, I grew up in a in a family of domestic violence and, you know, also being a victim of sexual abuse and physical abuse. Every time I would see the police come around, that was like a Superman for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I would stand there and they would walk in and like 
everything. All the, the arguing, the yelling, the, the, the cursing, it would just stop. It would just get quiet. And I would just look around. I would be so amazed at that. And I would look up at this police officer. He's in his uniform. He's looking crisp. You know, he's, he's clean shaven. He's got his bags. You know, he's got a cool police car parked outside. And then when he steps on the scene, like all the problems go away. And I like the effect that when a police step into the room, that people look to them to help fix the problem. Or they know that when the police come around, because I felt safe when they arrived. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of all this chaos. I'm a kid and all this stuff is going on around me. But when the police came, I felt safe. And I wanted to have that same effect. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's what I want to do. I want to be a police officer. I want to be someone that someone, I want to be that person that people, that someone can run to when they're scared, when they're afraid, when they need help, when they need someone to save them. I want to be that person to save that other person and i just kind of stuck with it you know my grandmother was like oh you should be a doctor or you should be a lawyer i was like no you know what granny i don't i don't want to do that like i really want to be a cop like that is my thing and ever since then and just seeing the police around my neighborhood and you know coming to the schools and speaking to us that's just been my my goal that was my ultimate goal was to become a police officer so let me let me ask you, Mr. Cooper, were there yes, shady things that you witnessed in the police department that you Oh my god. <laughs> you can tell us about it's okay. It's oh, safe zone for you yeah, to tell us about. Yeah, we're gonna be at all costs. So you, <laughs> yeah, I can I can you, you guys are good. You guys are good. I can I can definitely tell you. Um during my time with the police department in St. Louis, so me and my partner, he's a white guy. Um, there was a park in St. Louis called, um, I think this one was called O'Fallon Park. Very popular park. A lot of the young people would go there on Sundays and with the nice cars and stuff, sit out there and barbecue. We were on patrol and we were just riding through the park. And I'm driving. Um, and then we had rolled past this guy. He was urinating on a tree. Okay. Inappropriate. I get it. Okay, so we pull over. He's like, hey, stop right here. And I'm thinking, like, okay, why? What's up? What's going on? He's like, do you see that? You know, he cussing. You know, is that in the MF? I'm like, man, why you got to be all that? Okay. Now I'm thinking to myself, we're in a park full of all these black people, you know, and this man want to trip. This older white guy want to trip with this with this young man for taking a leak on the tree. So we got the car, and he, he calls him over, and, He's given the third degree. Now, mind you, I'm standing there and everybody's looking at me and I'm like, oh, my God, like, really, you are putting me in a bad place right now because you're talking crazy to this boy. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You are talking down to him like he is nothing. And I had to actually like, hey, uh, come on, man, let's 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 chill this out. You know, let's let's calm down for a little bit. If we want to give him a ticket, let's give him a ticket and just be on about his business. Mm -hmm. After all, all he did was take a leak on a tree. He's not out here hurting anybody. I doubt he hurt the tree. Let's just give him his ticket. Uh, send him on his way. Mm -hmm. I tell you, no later. Oh, my God. No later than 15 minutes, we get a call to go to um, a house where there was a party going on. And it was a kid's birthday party. And they were just out there having fun. A little bit on the street and the corner and stuff like that. But they were enjoying themselves. And I sit there. We, we, I'm sitting in the car. I'm like, I'm just kind of watching things. I'm not anxious to jump out and do anything because it's like nothing was wrong. So he jumps out the car 
So of course I'm like, okay, I got to follow him because this he's gonna act a fool and he's gonna embarrass us. So he gets out of the car. He's like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing over here, all out in the street? If if you were in my neighborhood, do you think I would want to walk out and see this? And the woman uh, that was there, she was like, uh, officer, we're not doing anything. It's just the kids out here playing, having a good time, you know, enjoying themselves. It's my daughter's birthday. Um, I, I don't know who called the police or why it's a problem. So because you guys are out here in the street, you're making noise. And the woman looks at me because he said some other things like, you know, well, um, when he mentioned the whole, when he made the statement about the neighborhood thing, I think I think that rubbed her the wrong way mm-hmm. uh, because I guess because he lives in a certain type of neighborhood. Yeah. I said, hold on, Mike, let me, I pulled him to the side. So hold on for a minute. Let's, let's go ahead and try to defuse. I said, ma'am, I do apologize, but we did get a call. All we're asking if you can try to, you know, make sure the kids stay out the street. We want to keep them safe. You know, these guys come driving her crazy. I would hate to get a call over here mm-hmm. about one of these kids getting hit. Mm-hmm. That That's the only reason we're here to make sure that all these kids are safe. I said, so if you could just make sure that you keep them on the sidewalk or inside the yard, that would really help us out and probably prevent whoever called. You know, they're probably concerned. So we get back in the car and I just said to them, I said, Mike, don't you ever, as long as I am in your presence or around me or we're in the same district, disrespect my community like that again. I said, I, I grew up over here. My parents were on what my mom was on welfare just like that woman is. For you to even bring that up in a conversation is disrespectful. You don't know what that family is going through. You don't know what they've been dealing with. But what she was trying to do was provide her daughter a happy birthday with all her friends and you had to come in and just kind of step on their dreams and rain on the parade with a lot of like very discriminative remarks. And I said, a lot of stuff you said offended me mm-hmm. because I grew up in the hood. And that's an, I think that's kind of wrong for you to say. And I said, so when we leave, we get back to the station. I don't, I don't think we should be riding together anymore because we don't see eye to eye on things. And I'm, I'm not going to stand and let you talk to, you know, my people or anybody for that matter, white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, because obviously you got some grudges that you haven't quite worked out. And you might want to go seek some help on that if you're going to be out here in the street. I said, because you're going to get somebody hurt, if not killed. And then from there on, we weren't partners anymore. Mm. They put me in a car by myself. Okay. Because I, I told them I, I can't I can't deal with that was just weird. Then there was an incident. Um, if you guys want to hear another story, I got another good one. Okay. So was, this was in Atlanta. Um, I what I would normally do is after roll call, that's when they just we do like an inspection of the uniform and our firearms and stuff like that. I grab my things, I get my 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 report papers, I get my car, and I go to work. You know, I don't sit around at the station. I go sit in front of this store where uh, their known drug dealers would come and hang out, but ever since I started hanging out there, they stopped doing it. So I pull up, I'm sitting there, I look across the street. These guys are sitting in the car doing whatever. I walk over, say, hey, how's it going? Looked on the, uh, the, the seat in the middle, and there's just, like, pills and lots of marijuana and stuff like that, which I didn't care about the marijuana. It was the white stuff that was bothering me. So I had them get out of the car, and while I'm sitting there searching them, and I said, and they're bigger than me. Mind you, I'm five foot six. Okay, <laughs> these dudes are every bit about six foot two, two hundred and thirty pounds. Another guy was another like six foot one, you know, two hundred and eighty pounds. 
And I just told him, I said, listen, I need you to be cool, relax, work with me. I'm not arresting you. I'm just merely investigating. Obviously, you guys got these drugs here sitting on the seat, so the streets, the seat, so you know that I have probable cause to sit here and stop you, right? Yeah, man, but it ain't that serious. And soon enough, as I get ready to put a handcuff on one of them, the other one takes off running. So I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm calling on the radio, asking for backup several times. And I'm chasing this guy at the same time. He runs behind another building. This guy comes out of nowhere running behind me with a gun. So I turn around and face him. And I'm like, you know, stop. And I point my gun at him. He's like, no, I'm a cop. I'm like, all right, well, come on, let's go. So we started chasing after the other guy. He ran into a building and it was dark and I couldn't see. And I'm calling the radio, asking for backup. You know, I need help. I need help. And then they finally get there. And then, you know, the sergeant was like, what What you guys say? I don't have anything now. So I was like, gone. I've been calling for backup and everybody's still at the station. Every every time I hear somebody on the radio, I'm responding from the precinct. Why are you responding from the precinct? And that became an issue. It's it's. I noticed a, a, a pattern because we had another incident where a gentleman was roughed up at a gay club by security. And when he came out, I took the call because I knew how that was going to turn out. The guy was bloody. His shirt was torn and ripped. He had a busted lip. I asked security what happened. And he's like, oh, well, you know, we asked him to leave. I said, but did you put your hands on this man? Well, we asked him. I said, but did you put your hands on him? I'm asking you, did you physically put your hands? Did you assault this man? He said, well, we asked him to leave. I said, but you don't, you don't have the right authority to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, if, you, if you're a straight guy, and you're working at the gay club. What are you thinking? You already know they're going to have most most in most situations, a little homophobic or they feel they're going to be able to do whatever they can because it's a gay club. And I just basically explained to him, I said, look, we're not going to have this. I understand you. You were trying to do your job, but your job is not to put your hands on people. And see, after seeing that, Monique and Reggie, I, I kind of got fed up with the fact that police, even though Atlanta Police Department had an LBGTQ unit that spe- that was specifically there to make sure that the gay community rights were not violated. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the police that I worked with at night were just so rude and disrespectful. And they were even trying to find out if, if people knew about me, if they knew that I was gay or whatever, because I was always out there trying to help them. I was trying to get the streetwalkers off the street. Well, streetwalkers are, are basically... Uh, young gays or young gay tra- or young transsexuals that are out on the street trying to work sex for money. So I was always trying to talk to them to get them off the street, you know, so they were asking them questions about me or whatnot. And I just went to my sergeant and said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my life is in danger enough as it is, but then to not have the backing of my fellow officers that work with me, I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, the life expectancy of a cop is lowering. It's not as high as it used to be. And there's other things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Let me so, ask, let me ask you this. I hate to interrupt yeah. here. Do you feel as if you did not get the backing that you should have gotten because that because you were or because you are um, gay? Do you think that was one of the reasons why, or was it you know, or or is it were or was it a combination of things because you're gay because you're black? Do you? You know, do you think that came into play at all? I want to say that it was primarily because I was gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they didn't know I was openly gay, 
I wasn't like DL in a closet. It's one of those things like, well, if you ask me, I'll tell you. If you don't ask me, then I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it, 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 that's what I felt because I was, the, I was the one that came to defense. When I was in Atlanta, I was the one that would be out there to protect the gays against the ones that wouldn't. It just, it just felt like I was the only one. I felt so alone. It's like, why are you guys so out to get them? Like, why, why are you guys so against the gay community? What have we done to you? to not be treated the same way because if it was a straight man that was getting beat up a drug out of a club you guys would act differently but the fact that it's a gay man oh you shouldn't have been there you should have left when they when they asked you to oh we're going to take you to jail well if you guys take him to jail then i'm locking up the security guard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so how do how do you how do you want to do this exactly that's that's how i settled that because we're not going to i said we're not going to play this game you lock him up i promise you I turned to that. I turned to that guy that got beat up. I said, "Sir, do you want to press charges?" He, the security's like, "Press charges." I'm like, "Yes." I asked the. I'm not talking to you, sir. I'm talking to the victim. I said, "Do you want to press charges?" I said, "Because if you do, I will arrest him right now, because he's definitely trying to press charges against you." I'm not trying to do tit for tat. I'm trying to prove a point. Doesn't you? Everybody's got to be held accountable. Exactly. You got to be held accountable. Definitely. Definitely. Now, first people, now, if y'all, if you know, listeners, y'all already know the news, y'all already know what it is. Um, but for those who, y'all, first time FNL listeners, if y'all hear a train in the background, please don't be alarmed, people. That's just the train riding by. Y'all know how the train go. Monday, you just sing a little song, the train go by. So, <laughs> so don't mind the train in the background. People. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that song. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, all right. So you know this FNL, like I said, you know, get real on the show. This is pretty much, you know, like I said, it's like a family here, so it's a family discussion right now. So you know, sometimes we gotta speak about moments that may be uncomfortable, but it's more moments to understand the situation, if you will. Okay. Um. So about seven years ago, there was a report that um you were forced to resign as an officer after allegations of forgery came about. Can you tell us what happened with that situation? Yes, ma'am, I can. And as like I say, one of my the key things that I want to be as upfront, honest, and transparent as possible with the American people because I don't have anything to hide. Um, in so many words, okay, so the way that it started is that I was dealing with a young lady uh, that um, I worked with at the time, and I had just got a car. And she was just telling me how she knew someone that worked with the DMV and I could get a discount and stuff like that. And I was thinking like, okay, you know, times are hard. My taxes are high on my car. You know, I, I, I can't really afford to get the place right now. So if there's some type of incentive or discount that I can get, I'm for it. Now, mind you, I, she, I gave her the document. Her, I gave it to her. The next day she came back and gave it to me. I didn't do anything to the document, but when I took it to the DMV to pay for the taxes, they were stating that, oh, well, uh, there's a vehicle on here that's not listed on here when you purchase your car. I said there shouldn't be there. I didn't tra- I didn't have a trade in. I didn't trade in the car. And like, well, that's what's on here. And I'm like, OK, well, that's not that's not correct. And that's when I went back to her and I'm like, did they change my form? I said, because I didn't do a trade in. And she went on talking about what well, I didn't know that that's what was on there. 
so at that time, the, the form had already been sent over uh, to the DMV and they, their investigators. So they came in. I signed an affidavit and everything and explained to them what was going on. Now, when I first talked to, to the investigators, they tried to, um, I guess, entrap me by saying, oh, well, we see you got copies and printers. I'm like, me having a copy machine doesn't mean that I forge documents. Mm-hmm. I said, my roommate works for his church and he makes obituaries. That's what he uses that copy machine for. I said, I have no reason to forge any documents or anything like that. I said, I wouldn't do that. Um, so when it came time for the court, I, well, let me step back. I got, when I got the notice for the warrant, I had contacts, a lawyer. It was my first time ever dealing with something like that. Um, and because like I said, I've never been arrested. I've, I've had a good record with both police departments. So after that happened, um, the law contacted the lawyer and we went and they talked to the, uh, the ADA and basically just to kind of toss in St. Louis County was just, they were all about trying to hang cops anyway, mostly black cops, Mm -hmm. any way that they could do to try to make you look bad or worse than what things really are. That's what they did. But my lawyer fought for me and he spoke when he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to fight this. I I said, I did not do this. I did not make that document. When they say forge a document, I I didn't forge anything. I, I had the document. I may have given it to someone. But I did not create that document myself. Um, so once that happened, he, he I guess he spoke with the ADA and he was like, well, here's the here's the trouble that we're running into. You don't have any witnesses. And he said, Richard, I'm afraid that if we take it to trial, he said, we can take it to trial. And I was really wanting to take it to trial. He said, if we take it to trial. We have a chance of losing and you getting a higher penalty in the sentence than what what they're trying to do for you now. So I said, so what are my options? I said, because, you know, I was really like frustrated. I was I was hurt. I was just my mind was all over the place. I said, I did not do this. Mm -hmm. He said, one of the only options that we have is that you can enter an alpha plea. And I'm like, that sounds familiar, of course, because I studied that in the police academy. And he said, well, basically what you'll be saying is that you're pleading guilty, but you're not saying that you committed that crime. You're pleading guilty because you don't have enough evidence and witnesses to prove that you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, fine. You know, because I need to move on with my life. Uh, This is putting a halt on things. Went ahead and did it. We stood before the judge. Judge even asked ADA. He's like, so wait, you're you're only going to you only want to do three years probation, no shock treatment. He's like, no, he's an outstanding. He was an outstanding officer. Um, He didn't have any negative marks on on my record. And so they said, yeah, just three years. And then the judge asked me, you understand? I said, yes, I only ended up serving a year and a half. Of course, because of the fact of the good standings that I had as a police officer, and then I, after the three, well, after a year and a half was up, I went on, you know, with my life. Now I also noticed that in the report, or the not the report, but the the news article uh, that was posted in one of the newspapers that said that um, I was like with City of St. Louis that I I missed. I was under an internal affairs investigation, mm-hmm. so I want to clear. I want to clear that up. Okay. What happened was how it started, and this was like about a couple weeks before I was actually going to resign from the force because I was moving to Atlanta. There was a huge fight that broke out at a hall at a as, at a Kappa party, I believe, and it was on Goodfellow and Natural Bridge. There's a there's a there's a hall over there 
that they were having a party at. When I arrived at the location, because I got a call for a fight that was going on. And when I arrived on the scene, I walked in, I noticed, okay, there's a bunch of teenagers. Then I noticed the one that was kind of instigating and, and pushing on and encouraging fight. So I took the young lady, she was a juvenile. And as we're taught in juvenile and in, uh, in, in the police academy, we don't put cuffs on juveniles. Like we don't put their hands behind the back. We don't read them their rights because they don't have any. Mm -hmm. So I placed the young lady in the car in the backseat of my patrol car. Her grandfather came up to the car, you know, knocking on the window. I said, sir, you need to step back. Um, I'm detaining her right now. She's not under arrest because she's a juvenile. Mm -hmm. I'm only detaining her. And I said, once I get through doing what I need to do, I will release her to you. I said, but because she was instigating the fight, I had to separate her from the crowd. And of course, she was rambling. See, at that time, we didn't have cameras in our cars. Mm -hmm. So her, her grandfather went ahead and filed in a complaint with the internal affairs. And it was I was investigated. My lieutenant was there for me, backed me up and everything like that was going on. They sat down with me. I did a written statement, told them what happened. I said, that's that's all. I didn't do anything but put it in the back of my patrol car because she was instigating the fight. And then at the same time, my lieutenant came to me and was like, well, you've been cleared from the uh, uh, from the uh, complaint because I was already resigning they didn't feel the need to further investigate it if I was leaving the department anyway. So they said, well, this will satisfy the, 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 the grandfather if he wants to think that something was happening. Not that I was being fired, but I was resigning because I was transferring. I wasn't resigning because of the, of the internal affairs investigation. So when you see that part article, that's what that, that internal affairs investigation was because of that incident. And even then, if I would have stayed, it would have gotten cleared because they would have found out why the girl was detained because of the fight that happened. The internal affairs investigation in Atlanta is a little different. I learned that in Atlanta, they will do an internal affairs open one, open internal affairs investigation case against you if you miss a court date. So they stated in the article that I had made an arrest and I didn't show up for a court date, mm -hmm. which is false. I was a, I was an effective police officer. I never arrested anyone that didn't deserve to be arrested. And any time that I, I was out doing my job, I was doing my job according to the special orders for that police department. I never violated anybody's rights, and I never took anything from anyone. So when I had to go to court on the day, I actually remember calling and stating that I was not going to be able to make it into court. Protocol is that any officer that does not attend court, whether it be traffic court misdemeanor court or arrest for a felony if you don't show up they're going to open up an investigation on you that's what they did oh wow yeah yeah i said are you serious so that was their way of making sure officers came to court so you hey you don't come to court they're going to open up internal affairs investigation waste of taxpayers dollars by calling it that rather than just a reprimand and say hey you know you do it two or three times we're going to suspend you blah 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 but no they opened it up so I guess in my case, it was like it was working out bad because of the simple fact that when I re when I resigned, that had that had just posted because I didn't show up to court for a case. So I think it was a traffic ticket that I didn't show up for because I wrote somebody a ticket mm -hmm. and I didn't show up for it. And most of the times I probably didn't show up because I wanted to get thrown out because I wanted to cut the person a break mm -hmm. because that the officers didn't show up. 
the ticket gets thrown out, yeah. mm-hmm. person yeah. gets gone free. So I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I don't recall, but I believe I didn't go because I was trying to cut the young man a break. And that's how that got thrown on me, you know. But the the thing, jumping back to the whole St. Louis with the with the the issue with the uh, the plates and the title and stuff like that, I don't keep anything from anybody. If they ask me about it, I'm open about it. But then <laughs> that takes us to the whole thing of tax reform. Taxes are so high, yes. you know, to where people do that. Okay, so we need to figure out what we can do to make things easier for people to not have to go through things like this. I'm not saying avoid it. I'm not saying the way that I did it was right. Mm -hmm. I'm saying Mm -hmm. this is what I can do or what I want to work toward doing to fix it. And that's through tax reform, lowering the taxes for the people in the lower class. We don't have to to go against people that are making a lot of money, rich people. I'm not saying that we should just flip the script on them and be against them but not give them bigger breaks than what we give the ones in the lower class mm-hmm. okay. because we're the ones that are fighting to st- that, that are struggling to survive, not them. Yeah. 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 Totally so, agree with that. Yeah. So what can you tell us, what are the biggest lessons or less lessons within us or lesson that you have learned, um, you know, by being on the force and, and things like that with your, um, what I, what I believe I learned the most money, uh, is, is being careful who you, who you deal with, who you uh, socialize yourself with, who you, um, uh, bring into your circle, you know, because sometimes people could be out to set you up from the beginning and you not know it. And we know, we all know that love is a very powerful, powerful thing. Yes. And people will use that to the best of their ability uh, uh, to to get what they want from you, and then in the end, put you out there as you're the one that did it. You know, because I'm gonna step back a little bit because the young lady that I dealt with, she called me and was like, you know, I have a kid. How could you do me like I said? How could I do you like that? You've ruined my career with the stunt that you pulled. Mm. Mind you, they end up serving. I think they did a 90 day shock, and I think they had five to ten years probation. Because that was they were doing that. That was a little ring that was going on. And as as the judge had stated when I went, you know, you you got caught up. That's that's the way he worded it. I just I got caught up, yeah. you know, dealing with the wrong people. But I, if I've learned anything, you guys, it's that I'm so much more conscious of the people that I keep around me, and I don't just jump forward to things without analyzing it and looking into it and making sure what that person is offering to do for me to help me with is legitimate mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. it's not going to do anything that's going to put me in a bad place or anyone around me in a bad place. That's like you were dealing with Phaedra Parks in the podcast. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. <laughs> That's the thing about FNL too, people like I tell you all as well, you know, good thing we have the source here because there could be something that's written up and it's those little loose ends that's like, that don't make sense though. Like how, you know, how to make it make sense. So mm-hmm. when you have the source telling us directly what happened, people, you finally know the truth of everything. So definitely. Yeah. That, yeah that's, what, that's what it is. I, I, I tell you, you know, Reggie, Monique, I... And, and and I know it's 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 hard. I understand it's hard. And and when people see that, they're like fraud. I'm like, no. I'm a very, very 
very honest person. And and when I say that I'm gonna I'm out here putting out, you know, my own personal hard earned money and time and the days that I have off to look forward to rallying and doing town halls and campaigning. All all I'm asking is for that I just just give me a chance. Just mm-hmm. give me a chance. I'm asking the people. I'm asking my people, blacks, gays, Hispanics, whites, Republicans, and Democrats, independents, just just give me a chance. Hear me out. I'm not here to to be a dictator. I'm not here to to, to bring on any type of rhetoric. I want any change that happens gonna be for the both of us. I'm not I'm not looking to cause chaos. I'm looking to bring calm to our country because we're we're in chaos right now. Mm-hmm. You know, government shutdown, I don't want that to happen under my administration. But if it ever did, nobody in the government would get a check. It's not the people that's gonna suffer. Mm-hmm. It's the people in the government because the government's the one that 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 makes that happen. So the, nobody's gonna be getting a check if anything like that happened, but the goal is to get there and not let it happen. Yeah. Not let it happen. Fair enough. Definitely, definitely. All right, so by now, you know, people who's tuning in by now, you know, they see the promo for the show, they see the picture, and they're like, wait, isn't that? So, you know, for the past, you know, hour or so, we've been referencing you as, you know, by your government name, you know, Cooper. Mm-hmm. But majority of the listeners who are going to listen and look at the picture and say, oh, that's, um, can I say the name, or is that like a dead character now, or is it? Yeah, I'm trying to push away yeah. from that. Um but people people know me as that. They mm-hmm. they, they they know me it's, as that it, and who I am. Yeah, y'all know the name people. We don't have to say it. <laughs> so you don't gotta say it. I know. If you if you look on the Twitter, mm-hmm. if you if you go to the Twitter, you know, Richard Cooper twenty twenty or R Cooper twenty twenty, they'll see that because I've had people post stuff. Isn't that and it's funny because they don't even say the name. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah. they just like no, that is this real? Like, is he serious? Is that you know? So yeah, it's 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 me, man. It's I'm that dude. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I'm that dude. So you know, as a, you know, moment of transparency. You know, mm-hmm. was there? A, what was the moment that made you have to go into that field, or was you know, was it something where it was just a once-off shot that just happened to last long, or was it just a a survival thing at that time? You know what? I, I I would say maybe a combination of both survival and then just being brought to me because I had a friend that was staying with me and he was just like, hey, you know, I think you'd be great at this. I'm like, what? No, man, that's that's not me. That's no, I don't I don't see myself doing that. And then a month later, boom, there it was. And then uh, less than a year. I was just really out there and then I started my own company uh which was surprised because I, I didn't expect to do that, but I, because I wanted to do so much and be involved mm-hmm. uh, because there were a lot of people that didn't think that they, they, they wanted to venture into that fantasy world and, and do something and be part of something. And I wanted to create something that people could be part of, you know, I, I don't want to put a blind eye over it. People will sit up and say every day, Oh, this and that about this and that, but people know in their personal time and their private time, they're watching something on somebody's website or they're going in their closet and they got the little stash. I mean, because I was a kid, I went through my parents' things, you know, and I, I know that there are people out there that do that. So I don't I don't want people to think that this doesn't go on. We even got politicians, man, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that 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 do that, that are members mm-hmm. of these websites. Mm-hmm. Can't say who they are, uh-huh. 
but you know I know <laughs> because I I just know. Uh-huh. And the other thing is that what what I want to I, I do want to point out is that it's it's I believe and don't quote me on the stats at least sixty four or more billion dollar a year industry. Mm-hmm. You know the government takes some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the government gets a piece of what the industry is producing. So to sit up and make it seem like it was a bad, but you can take the money from the industry, but you can't recognize people that are in it and be like, oh, that's bad. They're bad because they did that. No, I'm a very intelligent, intellectual person. I, I'm educated. I've, I've done uh, law enforcement for 10 years. I know how to talk to people. I've never violated anybody's rights. But you never know that just by watching me like on a film or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like I said, don't judge what say, don't judge a book by its cover. It's mm-hmm. literally. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. Don't judge me by the cover. You know? Yes, yes. So going into this, you know, and with the background of it and everything like that, was that like across your mind, like in the back of your mind, like, okay, I know I'm gonna do this, but this is gonna come up or these images are still gonna be here or these videos still gonna be out. Was that like in the back of your mind, like, okay, am I really gonna go forward with this presidential thing? You know what, Reggie? It it still comes to my mind. Mm. But you know what stands out more is the fact that I, I want this. I, <laughs> I, I want to be president. So I, I really ask that people love me for me and appreciate me for me and not the things that the don't judge me by my past, but mm. judge me for what I'm trying to do now. You know, what? not not saying that everything was bad in my past. You know, we all have our hiccups and bumps. Exactly. Yeah. But how many people admit to them? How many people own up to them? True. Very you true. know, I claimed that that happened. This happened. I did this. This is where I am now. This is what I want to do. You know, and I I just feel that you know we as a people just need to be fair and ex- and accept that. Definitely. You know, we just need to accept that. Yeah, it's real talk for real. Well, yeah, I mean, if Trump can, uh, a whole game of came Thank out, said he was grabbing them by the pussy. Exactly. So I, I guess if we, you know what, I know Trump ain't going to try to come for me. I'm like, dude, look, you've had enough run in with, with people in the industry. You do not want to go there with me. And listen, we all have had a moment where we had to uh, be living like James and Florida Evans and scratching and surviving. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Like you said, you, you, you know, you're transparent about it. Hey, at one point in time, I was a you know, wretched dollars. I got that five dollars. She had that big profession that didn't last very long, but you know, it would have. I was a fold sex operator myself. And when I received that five dollar check, I was like, well, I must have keep the people on the phone long enough. This is not for me. But we've all had a moment where we were scratching and surviving. And I, you know, have a career. I'm very successful with what I do. But, you know, we all follow hard times. Things happen. Right. Exactly. It is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't. Exactly. 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 So, I mean, you've talked about, you know, some of the black, the back, backlash and criticism that you received from that thus far. So, let me ask you, but do you still have the business? You said you kind of created a business out of that. Do you still yep. have the business aspect the, of it going on? The company, because I have to survive, you know, I still have to pay bills. Um, I'm not actively in it. Um, the company kind of, it's kind of like it's, it's on automatic where it runs by itself. Um, I don't really have to do anything physically. Um, once it comes close to the time in the campaign uh, to where we know that I'm going to be getting in the White House, that company would then uh, either be dissolved or a new CEO would be appointed. 
And um, I'm available to be your new CEO. Okay. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> I mean, you got the background, so. You know, because Reggie pays me absolutely nothing, Mr. Cooper. I will. I will. For doing this show, I have been um, his co-host probably for the last seven years, and I have not gotten a check as of yet. So if you need a new CEO, please she's let still, me know. She's selling herself out here to me, Reggie. <laughs> See, she's submitting a, the resume. Look, those are allegations that I cannot, you know, approve of because of the fact that there is no checks to be made because <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness but yeah most definitely I'm not it's not something I'm going to hold on to unfortunately like our, our current uh the gentleman that's that's holding the White House position um he likes to hold on to things and that keeps him tied into Russia and, and, mm-hmm. and other illegal ways he's bringing in money and it's like I said in my campaign I don't I don't even want to be like supported by super PACs mm-hmm. because I don't want, I would have to hear what you, what you want out of the deal. What do you want for your donation? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not, I'm not tearing down people's homes. I'm not drilling pipelines into, into people's property. If it has anything to do with interrupting the way that we live our life, I am good. Keep your money. You know, because one of the sad things I think about this, this whole election process is the fact that a lot of it is based on money. You know, you got to have this amount of money to be able to do this. So I got to have this amount of money to be able to be on a debate. I, you know, I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so I'm, I'm, I'm paying for this when it should be just for the people to decide who they want to lead their country. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Which is another thing I want to toss in. I'm going to be looking to make an amendment to the Constitution or an addendum to the Constitution to have that electoral process, we're going to tweak that a little bit. I want to make it to where a majority of the popular vote counts as an electoral vote. Okay. But just won't be straight electoral votes across the board. The electoral college will be entitled to maybe one or two votes per state and then the rest of it is is, is given to the popularity vote. So if a, a candidate gets a certain amount, million votes, then that counts as two or three electoral votes or the remaining votes for that electoral college for that particular state. It needs to be what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. where the people choose who they want to lead the country. Exactly. Yeah. Not just 248 people gets to choose that. Then what Then what were we doing? Why are you pushing people to go out and vote if you're not going to really let them do anything? Mm-hmm. If, if the popular vote doesn't count, then why make so, it... Well, I- does it yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm not and saying also, don't. I'm not saying don't vote. Vote. It's important. Yeah, keep that going because we need to make sure it's heard. But if we once we keep that going, and I'm in the White House, I'll make sure when the next election comes around, whether I win it or not, that you, the people, have chosen who you want it to be president. Mm-hmm. That's how that's supposed to work. Okay. And also, if you could please pass the law that if you do a podcast with someone. Person, you, <laughs> you guys will be the first one. But switching gears here, <laughs> tell us more about your platform um, for running for president on the following topics. So I'm going to say some things and I just want you to tell me briefly about your platform. So tell us about your platform for race relations in America. You said race relations? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, the race is of course still an issue um, mm-hmm. in our country unfortunately mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be it's going to be a long fight 
but I'm willing to do whatever I can with the, within my administration to push toward uh, policies that prevent uh, hate crimes, and educate, edu- educating people on the importance of not judging people based on their race, color, creed, and continue trying to unite the different communities like dealing with immigration, Hispanics, uh, Venezuelans, Puerto Ricans, blacks, whites, uh, Africans that come into the country and stuff like that. I, I think that it's an issue that we have to address and we have to address a lot more sternly and, and be more firm with it and not as relaxed as our current president is. Okay. What about uh, same-sex marriage? What is your platform on that? And this has nothing to do with me being gay. Mm-hmm. People should be allowed to marry who they love. If you want to spend the rest of your life with, if a man wants to spend the rest of his life with another man, that should be allowed. If a woman wants to spend the rest of her life with another woman, that should be allowed. I don't think and feel that the government should play any role, anybody that in that matter should play any role with how a person wants to live their life and who they choose to spend the rest of their life with. And if they want to make that, that, that valid by going to a church um, or some ceremony of some sort and certifying their bond together, then they should be able to do that. Agreed, agreed. And um, you touched on this a little bit, your platform and your political views on immigration. Yes. You know, that's a biggie, Monique. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Immigration, um, we're supposed to be land of the free, home of the brave, right? We're supposed to be the free world. Mm-hmm. But they tell us we've been known to have people from all types of shapes, colors, genders come from all across the world to come to America because they feel that this is a place where they can grow and prosper. This is where they want to raise their family. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the only focus lately, the past few years, have been the southern border, mm-hmm. Mexico. But we have all these other points and ports of entry in our country, mm-hmm. but we're only focused on the South. I'm not going to have that going on. We're not going to be taking people, kids from their families, separating them. I want to revisit the DACA and try to get that built back up and see what adjustments need to be made. Mm-hmm. The Dreamers, I want to get that up back and going because everything that was started, it's, it was working. It was working. Mm-hmm. There was no crisis at the border until Trump made it a crisis at the border. Yeah, You can't stop people. I'm going to tell you this. You can put a wall wherever you want, but that's not going to stop anybody from coming through. And obviously, if someone is coming across or through something trying to get there so bad, it's because maybe they do fear for their life and where they are. But we have been known as to be the country to be open to bringing in for people that are seeking asylum. So I want to make sure that the immigrants know that they have someone that's that's going to speak up for them and fight for them. I'm not going to be looking to kick anybody out of the country. If you're here as a terrorist and you're, you're trying to cause purposely cause bodily harm and death to people, then, yes, we need to get you out. You need to leave. You need to go. But if you're coming here to to get a new life and you're working, that I'm not I'm not here to kick you out. And I've been around for a while, and I, I've seen people that come around. I see people 
even here in Dallas, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, that they have people that work for them to clean their house and cut the grass. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out here making a hard living. Now, I'm sure, man, you've driven by a certain times. You may go by a gas station mm-hmm. and you'll see a lawn service truck pull up and you'll see a group of Hispanics in it. They go in, they get their drink, they eat their lunch and they go right back to work. Mind the business. Even some of our own people don't even do that. Not at all. No. You know, they immigrants when they come in town, they're looking to work and make a new life. Mm-hmm. I want them to do that. I welcome them to do that. Yeah. And if we train our law enforcement officials and the military the way that we do, it can be handled properly. And no one would worry about being treated any kind of way. But the way that things are going now, our immigration is it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And I've got a lot, I've got a lot of work to do with that. You know, and there there's gonna be changes as we go. I'll be very transparent with the people. Mm-hmm. And letting them know, hey, this is what we're working on. We're working to do this. There's going to be a process in doing that. While we're doing that, we're going to be in touch um, with all the people that come in from Mexico through the border. We're not going to just up and just stop. Oh, no, turn around. You can't come. Mm-hmm. No, let's let's get you in, get you registered, get the paperwork done, build a system that works quicker than what's doing now. Because, like, right now, to me, it seems like they're purposely delaying everything. They are. Oh, you're on the list. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that. We're going to put as much hands on deck as we can. Not people with guns that that's, that pointing at children. Oh no, you can't coop. But people that can sit down with them and translate and talk to them, find out what the reasons for coming into the country, mm-hmm. what it is that they're wanting to do, and then try to help those people. And if we can't, we communicate with the Mexican government and try to figure out an alternative. To say, hey, we we can't do this. We're not going to be able to help this person. What can we do on our side to help you help them on your side? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's what it's. I think that's what's what's going to help us with immigration. Instead of pushing these people back and forth, they're like like they're chess pieces. These are human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, and lives. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's a whole bunch of fan. What the orange Cheeto got right now? So. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. definitely. (laughs) I like the Cheeto. (laughs) Yes. So keep it very presidential right now with my questions. So let me yes, get sir. My, uh, my glass of water, my glasses on, like I'm at um, <laughs> like I'm a commentator right now. All right, so what are your views on foreign policy? <laughs> oh, man, I was waiting for that one too. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be a busy man when I get into the White House. I'll tell you that. I'm gonna be undoing a lot of knots. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first things that I want to do is rebuild our relationship with other foreign leaders. I wanted to get us back into the UNC, uh, I believe it's the UNHC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hillary and Obama was working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some hiccups, but it was working. Yeah. You know, and it, it takes time. Nothing's going to happen overnight. Um, I want to rebuild the relationship with uh, the foreign leaders, get back to the table of the UN, and say that we need to continue doing what we were doing before all the madness happens. I am definitely plan- wanting to cut off all ties with Russia. We don't need to be trying to be their friends. We've never been on that type of level that we are with them now. There's there's no reason. Hey, long as you are, you guys are doing what you're supposed to do according to the Peace Act, then we have no issues. Mm-hmm. Same thing with North Korea. I think a person like me and my age and my ability to talk to people, I can communicate with Kim Jong-un and, 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 and make sure that he understands uh, the repercussions of what he's doing and how the actions that he does and what's going the consequences are going to be behind that. I'm not wanting to sit up and try to do a back and forth and say, oh, he's a good guy. 
when we know that he's not. Yeah. Because right now he's playing mind games. I don't, we're not doing that. Mm-mm. There's too much going on in this world to be sitting up playing volleyball, you know, with a dictator. I'm not doing that. Exactly. If, if we can't come to some type of peace and you're not going to hear by the, the policy that's enacted about you getting rid of these weapons of mass destruction, then consequences are going to follow behind that. I'm not looking to get our country into a war. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to protect our country. And sometimes doing that is making sure that we deal with people like North Korea accordingly. Because even the citizens you know, of North Korea, it's not their fault. Yeah, It's not their fault. So I'm not looking to, to destroy anything. You know, it's more so like, hey, listen, this this is how things are going to work. Mm-hmm. And if this is going to work, then we're not going to be able to do business together. Yeah. And how can we build a better relationship with you? Yeah, exactly. That, And that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get it. You want to keep your missiles. OK, so how can we fix this? How do we know that you're not going to use this against South Korea? How do we know you're not going to use this against China or Japan or even the U.S.? Mm-hmm. What what guarantee do we have? And if, if something, an agreement is made, because right now, you know, Russia and, and North Korea are our biggest problems, mm-hmm. then we, we have to we have to decide what the consequences are going to be on that. And then with us rebuilding our relationship with the other foreign leaders, they will agree, then we'll have that extra backing, because right now we, we don't really have any backing. Mm-hmm. We, we have no backing, no, no support. No. Okay. I like, I like. So tell us, Mr. Cooper, what set you apart from the rest of the presidential opponents that you would be running against? One of the key things that sets me apart is the fact that I am an average working class citizen. I'm jumping into the race, uh, not from a already standing political position. I'm (laughs) jumping into the race, becoming a politician from the start mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from scratch but i am the only one i feel the only relatable one that speaks for the people i am the one that they can say i'm here for the people by the people and of the people mm-hmm. i'm not someone that's already been in a political position as a mayor or a senator or representative so i don't have that exposure meaning i'm not tainted by any misleads or or, or, or or bad ideas or agendas. I'm coming in fresh with the ideas from the people and what they want to see change in their country. I'm, I'm, I'm that one that, that I think I stand out more than anybody else in the campaign. It's not about how much money I do or don't have. It's, it's what I'm looking to bring as far as my knowledge, my heart, and what I have for the country and, and, and deep down inside and where I would like to see us go. And I don't want to do it by myself. I want America to help me do it. Okay. Definitely, definitely. So, real quick, because of the fact that, you know, we've been talking very serious, you know, for the past, you know, almost two hours now. So, it's time to, you know, have a little fun real quick. Because this is an entertainment show and stuff like that. So, we got to have a little pop culture moment, a little fun and stuff like that. All right. In the perfect world, what is your perfect campaign song? Uh, Living for the City by Stevie Wonder. Okay. Okay. Got my boy already. <laughs> okay. 
So mine would be half a bottle bed. Look now. <laughs> Look, this is the same person who on her birthday, her mix consists of gospel, trap music, and some. Oh my stuff. goodness. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so like Reggie said, so Mr. Cooper, we're gonna have a little fun with you. So we are gonna okay. do a quick round of QA and we like to call this part of the show Get to Know. So you tell us what is your favorite song out right now? The favorite song that's out right now? hmm Oh wow. Um honestly, I would have to say, um, who is it? I listen to it every day going to work. It's it's weird. It's a it's a bio artist uh named uh Masayo, M I S S I O. Um I first heard this the track on uh How to Get Away with Murder. I just like the show, okay? I just, mm-hmm. it's just a show I like to watch. Oh yeah. Um it's called Bottom of the Deep Blue Sea. Okay. Right. It's a very calm, relaxing. I like I like the, the mood that it that it gives, so the, the, the tone and texture of the song. Okay, okay. All right, your favorite album of all time. Oh, <laughs> man. I would, have, I would have to say Thriller. Okay. Oh, well, I guess that you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> I did when we were, um, you know, just setting up everything. I was like, why'd you say Thriller? <laughs> hey, I'm a Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> okay, okay. Good deal, good deal. We love Michael here on FNL. So tell us, what's your go-to TV show? Um, does that you mean like a show show, or does it does it matter if it's animated or? It doesn't matter. It can be a YouTube series. It can be any anything. Your go-to. What's your guilty pleasure? Um, Dragon Ball Super. Okay, okay. anime. All right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I do. Okay. Okay. All right, your must-have food. Oh, steak and asparagus. Mm. Okay. No, uh, <laughs> crab ball. Well, you know, you can put a little bit of crab on the side, and, and maybe a little shrimp and some some butter, some butter sauce with a little squeeze of lemon. Look, this is the same person that's talking about the Google check, but she always got <laughs> crab ball every week. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling on you. <laughs> I'm not thinking about Reggie. Regardless of my um, crab boy, what I can't get out of he still owes me a lot of money. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you tell us, what's your real thoughts on the Jesse Smollett hate crime allegations? Oh, I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got me, didn't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, Jesse Smollett. Um, I've had the pleasure of, of, uh, meeting him, not, not formally, uh, but in Chicago, uh, watched the show. I, I, I followed the case and the trial. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. I can't, I can't put it, really put a beat on it. I will say that, uh, if he in fact was attacked, um, that it's unfortunate and, we still need to be on the lookout for things like that then, and say it's, it's not tolerable just because one person said they were attacked and then other people saying that's not true. Mm-hmm. We take it for what it is. You know, I don't know the man personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to give um, a, a real read on it. Um, I don't, 
I, I even looked at these guys, um, the, the, the brothers, uh-huh. you know, in my mind, it was just like, okay, they, they, they did this, but then when things didn't work out, for all we know, that the police could have had some type of involvement in it. There's so many holes <laughs> yeah. in the investigation. I mean, looking at it from a law enforcement perspective, it's just like I, I'd have to reinvestigate this all over, like from the beginning. I'd want to question uh, Jesse myself. I'd want to question the brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to, to examine the crime scene of where it supposedly happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's, he seems like a really great guy. Um, it's unfortunate that it turned, but I I didn't even, when I first heard about it, I'm like, I don't know what to believe. Yeah. I don't know what to believe. You know, um, he lost, you know, he lost his job, his contract with Fox. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that sucks. And the thing about it is, I don't think, what I will say is, I don't think that he would have put his career on the line for that. Now that, that may speak to sit up and say that I, I believe him, but I don't think anyone would do that to come up and fabricate a story so elaborate as that one. Yeah. And and then to put their, their career on the line. I don't I don't I don't see anybody doing that. Yeah. Allegedly for a pay increase. So exactly. Not yeah. But he was already getting paid more than the cash. Yeah. That's that's the whole thing. He was already getting paid more than cash. They had recently gave him a raise and a, a pay increase, and it was just like I don't I don't get it. I don't I just don't see that. I just want to know. I don't see I don't see him doing that, but I just would want to know the facts because being a black gay man, sometimes you have these these intuitions and these these vibes and feelings about people. Mm-hmm. And there's something about those those guys, those two tw- the, the brothers that didn't read right with me. Yeah, because y'all was at Ace Hardwood store with a hundred dollar bill buying supplies and at the beauty supply store on the camera. Exactly. And still some uh, weird caps in the background, but we ain't gonna talk about that one. But exactly. <laughs> I mean, we could, but you know, just. That, that just little things like that, and then I don't think it was it was really good for the for the chief of police to step out and say too much as much as he did, mm-hmm. um, you know about it. He he could have just let someone else do it and say, hey, we we're going based on the facts. I'm you can't give your personal views of a person because of what's going on. You don't really know what happened. Yeah, and maybe that I think the police chief should have probably kept that to himself, um, and not and not did that. But who's to say, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that was our FNL get to know section. So you passed with flying colors. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, okay. I hear the round of applause somewhere in the background, but uh, I'm glad to have made it through that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll insert it somewhere. <laughs> and so tell us, Mr. Cooper, why should the people vote for you in the 2020 presidential election? And then also, Tell us if we are going to see Robin Roberts and Michael Schwartz and talk about you on Good Morning America. I'm going to be looking for that. <laughs> you know what? I, I I don't. Okay, so I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna answer the first one, and then I'm gonna get to the second. I'm gonna answer that one for you. Um, I I want. I feel that the people should vote for me because I am I am the underdog. Um. I'm the black sheep up of the candidates. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that from a sense of mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming from the same level that they're coming from. I'm getting off work and I'm, I'm working on stuff for my campaign. I'm not able to sit up and just up and do things because I got to pay rent. I got to pay bills and I have to make sure that I'm taken care of while I'm trying to show and prove myself worthy to be America's leader. Um, I know that a lot of the ideas that I have 
Uh, some will agree with, some won't. But once they see it in act and see that I'm actually all about action, then they'll understand and know that they made the right choice by voting for me. Um, I fight for them. I fight for the people. I stand by the the whole we the people for the people and by the people. I'm I'm all about that. And I understand what it's like to experience what the people are experiencing with the minimum wage and health care and education. I know that because I'm, I'm dealing with the same struggle they are. And what better person to be the commander in chief than someone that can, in so many words, relate to the people. Okay. Okay. And on that other question, you know, I, who, you know, you guys, I believe even after been on your show, it, it's probably going to set off all kind of fireworks and people are probably going to start contacting and being like, okay, this, this guy is serious. You know, he was on FNL. So let's, Let's see what's up. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I wouldn't be disappointed if it didn't, you know. But I'm 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 gonna continue the fight regardless. Oh yeah. Of... Definitely, definitely, definitely. So to close out, you know, for the finale, yeah. who is Richard Cooper? Like if you had to explain yourself in the summary, mm-hmm. who is Richard Cooper? Richard Cooper is strong, honest, transparent, um, worthy of the people's support. He's a people's person. He's heartwarming. He's kind. And just an all-around person that, you know, believes in what the people believe in. And that's change for America. Okay, okay. All right. So we're going to clap it up for Richard Cooper because I'm going to use Monique's budget to get an applause machine. So I'm going to... Um... <laughs> <laughs> So definitely, please, um, you know, Mr. Cooper, when you become um, president of the United States of America, when you are in the White House, the first law that you need to put in effect is that Reggie, <laughs> Reginald Scott needs to run oh my God. <laughs> or lock so his ass up and That's going to be the and, first executive order. Okay, that, or either lock his ass up and do not bring him apart. <laughs> <laughs> she said no, no pardons no pardons oh can I throw one more thing in there it's just to make sure that your listeners and viewers and anybody that's willing to support oh, yeah, join the team is to visit richardcooper2020.org that's richardcooper2020.org all right and any other social media or anything they can find you with to continue this, of course uh, of course uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram of course I'm on Instagram it's richardcooper2020 uh, the Facebook is the same, Richard Cooper 2020. Uh, Twitter, also. R, actually, that one's R Cooper 2020, but the uh, the actual, you can search by name as Richard Cooper 2020. Okay, okay. And from my understanding, this is your first um, place you've actually been interviewed at so far, correct? Yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. We are so yes. glad you chose us. Yes, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> the crazy <laughs> really part. means a lot. You know, it, this, I'm very honored that you guys will have me on. I'm glad that uh, you guys are here to be an extension of my voice to get out there. So I really thank you for that. No problem at all. And that's the one thing I like about this interview, too, because people have a preconceived notion of who you are from you, what you've done in the past, but they don't know exactly there's layers behind it and there's more to you than just that. So this was the perfect place to do that because we're going to ask the questions. We're going to get the information and everyone got a new light on who you are now. So mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. thanks to you guys. I really appreciate it. We definitely enjoyed our time with you. Yes. And I do, I do want to send out, um, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. special, special prayers uh, uh, to the young lady, <clears throat> excuse me, that was shot. Um, 
in Texas, and as well as a gentleman that was accused in a very, 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 very special, deep heartfelt uh, for Nigel Shelby family. Mm-hmm. Um, I will toss in one of my goals is I, I definitely want to get down there and and uh, and talk to his family and 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 do a little small little rally there in uh, in Alabama, you know, and in memory of him because it, it that's the, all the more to push uh, the awareness on bullying. So I appreciate you guys for giving me that platform. Definitely, definitely. And mm-hmm. again, people, you got our support here at FNL. Whenever you want to come back, like I said, you're family now. So whenever you want to come back to the show, you know, here's some more cutting up from Monique trying to get a check that she's not going to get <laughs> or just anything to get more information out once the campaign starts rolling and stuff like that. And, you know, you can always come back here if you got your, you know, got your support here. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Definitely. No problem at all. Again, people, find out more information at richardcooper2020.org. And we do thank you all for listening to FNL. Y'all make sure that you subscribe, listen to the show, listen to our Apple Podcasts. We're now on Spotify, people, so listen on Spotify, uh, Google Play Podcasts, on these platforms of choice, whatever reason. And then also, <laughs> whatever your other digital podcast streaming services you can listen to us on, people. But thank you all for listening, and y'all have a good rest of your night, everyone. Peace. Good night. Night.